Hey, this is Dr. Mike Barnett. It is an awesome privilege to fill the pulpit every Sunday at the First Baptist Church of Ocean Springs, Mississippi. Having you listen to our messages on this podcast is an incredible blessing as well, and I pray that you will be encouraged in the Lord as you listen. It is vital that you commit yourself and your family to the Lord through the ministry of a local church. While it is a great blessing to have you listen to our messages, no one will be able to minister the Word of God to you or your family like a local pastor. So please do not consider this podcast as a replacement for your presence in your local church on Sunday. Be faithful, get connected, and God bless. If you will, open up your Bibles with me to the index if you need to. Other than that, you can go right to Obadiah. Nothing wrong with using the index. When I started studying for these messages some months ago, I thanked the Lord for the ribbons in the Bible. Keep my ribbon there by Obadiah. We are going to begin a series of messages we entitle Major Principles from the Most Minor Prophet. And today's message is God's message through God's man. God's message through God's man. Let me uh, take a, a point of personal privilege and get a little personal I want you to know I count it as a great privilege to fill this pulpit and preach and, and uh, expound upon God's Word as He gives me uh, grace to do so. And it's uh, always a special time and a privilege to spend Sunday morning with you in God's Word. I appreciate your, uh, your reception of God's Word. You are a church that... that I think values the exposition of God's Word. I've had pulpit guests always tell me that you have an eager, eager look on your face when the Word of God is being preached, and that's a great blessing and a great privilege. And I would tell you it's a great privilege to go to this little book of the Bible, this obscure book, and um, begin today to, to preach from it. The Lord willing, we'll be in the book of Obadiah for six sermons, including this one. And we're going to discover eight principles about God. There are more, I'm sure. And um, if it's like any other text of Scripture that I, I preach from, I'll, I'll see things that um, pop out of the text uh, by the Holy Spirit's leadership as we go along. Isn't that just like the Word of God, how that works? But um, over the next six messages, we will discover these eight principles that help us understand the Lord, His Word, how we relate to Him, His grace. We're even going to look at His hatred, something that is not often talked about. His mercy is found in Obadiah. His patience is certainly found in Obadiah. There's so very much to learn about God from His Word, in the Word, and in this book of Obadiah. And as we go through, I hope you will see the relevancy of, of the book of Obadiah and the Word of God in general. And so uh, let's read just a few verses. We won't read uh, the entire uh, book of Obadiah today. It wouldn't take long. It would only take about a few minutes to read, but uh, I want to... Uh, we're going to be reading a lot of other scriptures today that bring us to 
where Obadiah was when he had his ministry. And so let's look at verse 1 together in a few verses. The vision of Obadiah. Thus saith the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a rumor from the Lord, and an ambassador is sent among the heathen. Arise ye, and let us rise up against her in battle. Behold, I have made thee small among the heathen. Thou art greatly despised. The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee, thou that dwells in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, that saith in his heart, Who shall bring me down to the ground? Though thou exalt thyself as the eagle, and though thy, thou set thy nest among the stars, thence will I bring thee down, saith the Lord. If thieves came to thee, if robbers by night, how art thou cut off? Would they not have stolen till they had enough? If the grape gatherers came to thee, would they not leave some grapes? Well, you will probably never get a Hallmark card in the mail with these Bible verses on it. But they do speak to us about God. We said, I believe it was last week or the week before, when you approach the Bible, you'll understand it better by and by, and you'll understand it better in the nasty now and now if you approach it with this one question. What does this teach me about God? What does this teach me about the Lord? Rather than where is a solution to my problem or, or a solution to my issue or an answer to my questions, what does this teach me about God? And then when it teaches you about God, you'll know more of the problem solver. You'll know more of the one who has the answer to your issue and the problems you face in life. And so that's our goal in this series is to learn some wonderful truths about God. And the first one being, God is faithful. God is faithful. Now, how in the world did we get God is faithful out of Obadiah in these verses that we just read? Well, you need to remember this. And, and get this down so you, and, and if you're going to write anything down that I preach today, write this down. Not all Scripture is written to you, but all Scripture is written for you. Not all of the Bible, not every Bible verse is written to you, but every word of the Bible is written for you. God has something for you in it. This is, this is borne out throughout the whole Bible. Paul wrote to Timothy and to us in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, and he said, for all Scripture, every word of the Word is given by inspiration of God, the breath of God, and is profitable. It's profitable to you for doctrine, for what to believe, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the person of God, the man of God may be thoroughly furnished 
perfect and thoroughly furnished unto all good works. 1 Corinthians 10 teaches us that all of the Bible, in particular the Old Testament, but all of the Bible, but in particular the Old Testament, was written for our edification. Every verse of the Bible was written to edify you and me, to help us in our understanding of God and our relationship with Him and our walk with Him. And so uh, that includes this minor prophet, Obadiah. Now, the point that I make about God being faithful is found in two little words in verse 1. Obadiah preached concerning Edom. Concerning Edom. Now, this is an interesting thing. He was not preaching to the Edomites, but he was preaching about the Edomites. Now, I want to tell you what, if you'd be honest, that's the best kind of preaching. That's, the best, that's what you enjoy listening to, is not what's to you, but what's about somebody else. Yeah. Amen? Huh? That's the difference between preaching and meddling. But Obadiah preached to Judah about the Edomites. He said concerning Edom, preaching to Judah. That's a very important, important thing. So he wasn't preaching necessarily to express Edom's condemnation as much as he was preaching to express encouragement to Judah. For God to say, I'm faithful to you, Judah. I'm faithful to you. I'm going to keep my promises to you. And in order for us to fully grasp that, we have to take a history lesson. We kind of have to take a little bit of a journey through the Bible to understand the relationship between the Edomites and the Jews, between the descendants of Jacob and the descendants of Esau. We have to see their history. And you're going to find that it is a very, very violent history. Very violent history. As a matter of fact, if they were to make a movie about this, I would not go see it because it would probably be at least rated R. And, I, 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 you know, it would be tough. Probably because of all the blood. And so, let's look back a little bit. And, and I'm not going to read all of these texts of Scripture, but I do want to highlight uh, this history but I will take you, if you will, go to Genesis chapter 25, and we're going to look at verse 21. Genesis 25 and verse 21, if you want to turn there in your Bible, be sure and put your finger on Obadiah, because you've got to find it again in a few minutes. But uh, Genesis 25, I want to read to you the beginning of the relationship of these two nations, the Edomites and uh, Israel. And so, <clears throat> here we go. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. And the children struggled together within her. And she said, If it be so, why am I this way? 
and she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels, and the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. And when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red, all over like a hairy garment, and they called his name Esau. And after that came his brother out, and his hand took hold on Esau's heel, and his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was threescore years old, 60 years old, when she bare them. God bless Isaac. And the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field, and Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison. But Rebekah loved Jacob. See that bad parenting right there. Bad parenting. That's another sermon. And Jacob sawed pottage. And Esau came from the field and he was faint. And Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, with some of the red stew, if you will, for I am faint. Therefore, his name was called Edom. See? And Jacob said, Sell me this day thy birthright. And Esau said, Behold, I am at the point to die. And what profit shall this birthright do to me? Do you think he over-exaggerated a little bit? Well, he was a profane man, and that's what profane people do, is they over-exaggerate. And Jacob said, Swear to me this day. And he sware unto him, and he sold his birthright unto Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils, and he did eat and drink and rose up and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. So there we find the introduction to the progenitors of these two nations, the founders, if you will, the fathers of these two nations that we read about in Obadiah. Esau's name means hairy. Jacob's name means heel grabber or heel holder. Esau, we read, was also called Edom, uh, which means red because he sold his birthright for a bowl of red stew. It must have had a whole bunch of cayenne in it, but it was red. And he was called Red, Edom, from then on. Very interesting. And you fast forward a little bit to Genesis 26, we see that Esau's profane thinking continued some more. And after selling his birthright as the oldest son, his birthright, the inheritance plus some, and being uh, the patriarch of the family once Jacob would have died, he sold that to Jacob. Uh, his, after his father died, he sold that to Jacob. And after his selling his birthright, he showed disregard for the covenant promise of Abraham by marrying two Canaanite women. So he married two Canaanite women, a rebellious man. Genesis 27 
says that Jacob, his brother, and Rebekah, his mother, would trick Isaac and Esau, Isaac the dad, out of the patriarchal blessing. And so, remember, you remember the story if you've been in Sunday school. Uh, the old man, Isaac, was blind and he was about to go out, about to pass away, and he said, I want some venison. I want my son Esau to bring me some venison. You remember that? And, uh, and he said, go get me some venison and cook it for me, and I'll, make you, I'll give you your blessing. And, and Mama heard, overheard it, and they took a goat, and they put the fur on his, on his uh, arms, and he went in and tricked his father into blessing him, Jacob, got the blessing that was meant for Esau. Do you see, do you think a lot of hatred can be developed for stuff like that? You talk about sibling rivalry. Well, that's exactly what happened. And Esau, when it was all said and done, said, I will kill my brother. When my father is dead, I will kill Jacob. And so Jacob had to flee. And he, he fled away. And he had to be gone for a while. While we don't have time to go into Jacob's exile, so to speak, we do know this, that Jacob got a dose of his own medicine for a number of years and learned some valuable lessons about life and came back a different man, still growing. And so as time went on, Esau and his people and descendants would eventually settle in an area called Seir. In the Bible, it's known today as Petra, and you can see it uh, in Jordan. If you go to Jordan, it's an archaeological site. And uh, he would settle there in uh, Mount Seir or Petra, the land that would be called Edom on the south end of the Dead Sea. Genesis 33 indicates that there was some attempt at making peace between the two, but it never did come to fruition. They would be two brother nations that would hate each other and war against each other for centuries. As a matter of fact, uh, Numbers chapter 20 records later that after the Jews, after Israel came out of Egypt and were wandering in the promised land, that they approached the land of their brother nation Edom. And they asked the Edomites, you're our brother. Can we pass through? We will not stop to drink out of the wells. We will not take anything from the land. We won't take any crops. We won't take any animals. We'll just pass right through. And Edom said, absolutely not. You cannot pass through our land. We hate you. We hate you and you're not passing through our land. Well, they came back and gave that message, and the leaders of Israel said, Moses said, well, can't we just pay? We'll pay you. We'll give you money to go through. Absolutely not. We hate you. And then some years later, decades later, in the book of Deuteronomy, the Jews are about to cross over into the promised land, and God is giving that next generation of Jews who had come out of Egypt, the second generation, the opportunity to have a better life and to serve Him and to be His people. And God has given them instructions of when they go into the land. 
And it's fascinating, when they got into the land, this is what God told them. God said, when you're in the land, you will not abhor an Edomite, for he is your brother. Thou shalt not abhor an Egyptian, because you are a stranger in his land. The children that are begotten of them shall enter into the congregation of the Lord in their third generation. In other words, God told the Israelites, you forgive your brother. You restore your relationship with your brother. And you do not abhor them. And when they want to come and be the people of the one true God, Jehovah, you welcome them and you help them. And eventually they will come and you need to receive them. Well, that's a wonderful thing to do. Israel was told not to hate them. But you know what happened? They hated them. And there was war and there was battle for many, many years, decades, centuries. King Saul came about. Remember that rebellion of the people of God. They said, we don't want Samuel anymore. We don't want to be a theocracy anymore. We want a king like everybody else. And God said, okay, I'm going to give you Saul. And Saul was a disaster. But Saul had war. Now, we always read about the war with the Philistines, but the Bible says that Saul also warred against the Edomites. They had war. Vicious enemies. As a matter of fact, when David came to the throne, David was so victorious over the Edomites that he subdued the Edomite territory and set up garrisons. David had bases, army bases, marine bases. No air force, but camel force bases. He had bases in the land of Edom. He had conquered them. He had subdued them. But it was give and take, and Solomon at first even had to con have conflict with the Edomites. These were two nations that hated each other, and it went all the way back to a mother's womb. Can hatred last longer than it should? Can somebody be told by God, you need to be the bigger person and forgive and bring peace to the relationship and that person ignore what God says and it just gets worse and worse and worse? Well, that's what happened with these two nations. This was, this was worse than the Hatfields and the McCoys. And we're still talking about it today, this great hatred. And then Second uh, Chronicles, write this text down. I want you to read it when you get home. I'll give you a little homework assignment. Second Chronicles 21, verse 16 and 17, tell us something very interesting that happened um, to Jerusalem one day. Um, Jerusalem was invaded many times in, in Old Testament history. And um, Arab, the Arab nations and the Philistines came against uh, Jerusalem. And the Edomites at that time saw a weakness in Judah, saw a weakness in Judah, and they rebelled. See, David had conquered so much territory, and when the Arabs and the Philistines in a cold, 
they became the Axis powers, if you will, and they invaded Jerusalem and caused much havoc, the Edomites saw an opportunity and they uh, rebelled. Now, we don't know exactly when Obadiah preached, but I believe it was in response to that. Other say that it was much later when Babylon came on the scene. And I'll tell you why I believe it's now in this time in 2 Chronicles 21 when uh, Obadiah preached. I'll tell you why as we go through the book together. But I want to share this with you. They did some terrible things at that time to um, their brothers, the, the Israelites. They did some awful things. Matter of fact, let me, let me just read to you. Uh, verse uh, 10 of Obadiah says, For thy violence against thy brother Jacob, shame shall cover thee, and thou shalt be cut off forever. And the day that you stood on the other side, and the day that the strangers carried away captive his forces, and foreigners entered into his gates and cast lots upon Jerusalem, even thou wast one of them. So when this Arab and Philistine Partnership came against Jerusalem. The Edomites cheered on the sides of the road as they marched in. And as they went in and wreaked havoc in the city, the Edomites joined in the fun, so to speak. And also in Obadiah, we're going to see where as people do in an invasion, uh, refugees trying to get away, the Edomites not only did not help their brother, the Jews... But what they did was, is they captured them and sold them into slavery. And God says to them, you're going to be wiped out because of that. Very interesting. And then 2 Chronicles 25 tells, and tells of another defeat. Apparently Israel was restored and, and Jerusalem was restored to the Jews. And then later in 2 Chronicles 25, we see a, another major defeat of the Edomites by Amaziah the king, but no lasting results. And then others say that the Edomites, that Obadiah preached much later when the Babylonians would come. And the Babylonians came and destroyed Jerusalem, took three deportations because of Israel's sin, took them into captivity, the Babylonian captivity. Edom was certainly happy and rejoicing at the downfall of Jerusalem by the Edomites. But four years later, the Edomites themselves were conquered and taken. And this is interesting. you got to know this because this affects the New Testament. The Edomites who survived the Babylonian invasion, they escaped to an area more in the land of Israel, called by the Greek name Idumea. And you get to the New Testament and you don't read about Edom, but you read about Idumea. And do you know one of the leading Idumeans or the leading Edomites of the New Testament is a man by the name of Herod. The Herods were Edomites. No wonder he had no problem with killing the babies of Bethlehem. When he found out that the Jewish Messiah was coming, he said, I'm going to kill him and I'll kill every child I have to 
to make sure I get him. Herod was an Edomite. And we read about the Idumeans. Well, after, after the Babylonians came, uh, a group of Arab nomadic peoples called the Nabataeans would invade the Edomites, and that's when they would move to Idumea. And um, through history, they were just kind of grafted in to the population of Israel, still maintaining their distinction. In 63 B.C., the Romans would come. You know, you read the Old Testament, you see the Babylonians in charge, you see the Persians, and then you close out the Old Testament, open up anew, and the Romans are in charge. Well, 400 years between the two Testaments, you had the Greeks and you had the Romans come to power. And the Romans are in charge, large and in charge of the world in the New Testament. And the Romans would, would make the Herods, the Edomite Herods, the leaders of Judah, insulting them. Well, in 63 B.C., that's what happened. And the Edomites or the Idumeans would take authority with the Romans. God, Roman would, Rome would even grant Herod the Great the title as king of Judea. How insulting would that be? But in 70 A.D., there was a great revolt, and Jerusalem was completely destroyed by the Romans and the Edomites just disappeared from history. We don't know where they are. By the way, is anybody in here an Edomite? They just disappeared from history. And you've never met an Edomite. Obadiah's words came true. Obadiah's words came to pass. You say, well, preacher, your point is God is faithful. How in the world does that teach us that God is faithful? Well, one of the themes in Obadiah is, is uh, how God deals with anti-Semitism. People who hate the Jew. We've seen it in, in modern history. Wasn't there a, a man called Hitler who rallied his nation to embrace Nazism? And didn't they have a terrible fall? And so it will be with every nation, every nation that goes against God's chosen people on this earth, the Jew. This is a book about and against anti-Semitism, a warning, no doubt. So what God is saying is, is yes, you have your enemies, Jacob. Yes, you have your enemies, Israel, and they will do much harm... But I want to tell you that I am faithful and I will keep my covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so all Scripture is not written to us, but all Scripture is for us and we learn that God is faithful. That's what He has in this first principle of Obadiah for us. After centuries of conflict and after decades of debauchery and hate, the prophet rises up and says, God is faithful. He's going to take care of His people. He's going to take care of His people. It reminds me of what Romans 8.31 says, If God be for us, who can be against us? 
God is faithful to keep his promises. Now, let me ask you something. If God is faithful to keep his promises to the nation that he chose here on earth, Israel, don't you think he'll keep his promises to the people who are his bride here and now, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? To his blood-bought, redeemed ones, he will keep his promises. God is faithful. God is faithful. Always remember that. He's faithful to the nation whose God is the Lord. And he'll be faithful to you. And any nation that fears the Lord, he will be faithful. Remember that. There's a whole book of principles we're going to learn about. We're going to see seven more in our series through Obadiah. And every one of them are what God is like. The first being God is faithful. But what about the second? Let me give you one more. This is my favorite. I like this one. God has a significant purpose for you. God has a significant purpose for you. Look at the little phrase, the vision of Obadiah. There is no such thing as obscurity in the Lord's work or in heaven. There is no such thing as obscurity in terms of God's servants. This book is among the minor prophets. That's who we call these shorter books of the Bible. It has nothing to do with prestige. It has nothing to do with the importance of the book or the content of the book. It has everything to do with the length of the book. There are about 12 of them. The Jew In the Jewish canon, they're called the book of the 12. They're considered one book. We call them the minor prophets because they're shorter. They're shorter books. And the term minor is what, what is applied. Obadiah's book is the shortest book of the Old Testament. One can honestly say he is the most minor of the minor prophets. That's why I entitled this series of messages, Major Principles from the Most Minor Prophets. That's what he is. The name Obadiah is found 20 times. There's about 20 Obadiahs in the Old Testament. And none of them are this one. None of them are this one. The poor guy is relegated to a book you have to look in the index to find. Isn't that an amazing thing? He's obscure. Obscure Obadiah. Obadiah, yeah, that obscure guy. Remember him? Well, it's the shortest book, the most minor prophets, 20 different Obadiahs perhaps, or at least the name Obadiah is found 20 times. None of them except this one or him. There is no evidence that points to him being any of the other Obadiahs. We don't even know exactly when he was written. I, I'm pretty set in my ways, and, and um, I guess you could say pretty hard-headed, wouldn't you agree? Um, I was looking at Cole. But anyway, um, I, I, I'll tell you that I would not lay my ministry on the line to defend what I, when I think Obadiah was written. I have my reasons for it. Uh, one of the big questions about when was Obadiah written uh, when Babylon came or during the Arab-Philistine invasion has to do with who quotes who. 
In Jeremiah 49, you see similar verses from Obadiah, of Obadiah. Did Jeremiah quote Obadiah or did Obadiah quote Jeremiah? I personally think that Jeremiah quoted Obadiah because Jeremiah's verses that he uses from Obadiah are sparse throughout. It's not one long narrative. It's, it's different places in chapter 49. It doesn't look like a direct quote. And I have my other reasons for it as well. So we don't even know when this guy lived. We don't even know. You can't go to his cemetery and look at the dates on either end of the dash. We just don't have it. We do know, uh, however, some important things about him. Three things. Number one, we know his name means servant of the Lord. And that's what he was. He was a servant of the Lord. We also know that God revealed something to him. Look at verse 1, the vision of Obadiah. Now let me share something with you that is a, is a truth I hope will encourage you to no end. In the original Hebrew, in the Hebrew language, the definite article the is not there. In the Hebrew language, before now, if you have a definite article, it's just one letter. Well, that one letter is not there. The text literally, literally reads this, vision of Obadiah, vision of Obadiah. What a wonderful thing that is. No article, just a general term, just a general term, vision of Obadiah. Something God gave to Obadiah. Obadiah received from God what he wanted him to say. Very unique. Perhaps something that only Obadiah could do. Do you think that there's something only you can do for the Lord? That, that God has something unique for you to do? He does. And you're the only one who can do it. You're the only one with your personality. You're the only one with your background. You're the only one with your experience. You're the only one who knows that person you need to minister to or win to Christ. You're the only one. God made you unique because He has a unique purpose for you. He doesn't want you to have to imitate everybody, anybody else. He doesn't want you to try to be like somebody else. He wants you to try to be like Jesus so you can do what He would have you and you alone to do. The third thing we know is, is that he faithfully spoke what God told him to speak. Thus saith the Lord. And God has preserved his words in the word and here through Obadiah. So friend, I want to tell you, Obadiah was not famous, but he was faithful. That's what God wants us to be, faithful. You may not be famous, but you can always be faithful. Simple obedience. He was obscure, but he took the opportunity to serve the Lord. When God gave him something, he took it and ran with it for God's glory. And he encouraged the entire nation of Judah in dark days. I like what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 1. He says, but God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise God shows what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Your true, faithful 
simple service to Christ, doing what only you can do, only what you are gifted to do and a way to do it, not with force of personality or, or position, but by just simple, spirit-filled obedience, faithfulness to the Lord. That's what will make you faithful. I want to show you a little artwork. Let me illustrate this. I want to show you a little artwork today. Gary, do we have that artwork? Now, that, those three paintings are hung in my sister's hallway entering into her house in Frederick, Maryland. I see them every time I go up there. And uh, they hang in, in the hallway. Um, it's not a good picture of them, but that's what she sent me. And um, I, uh, I think they were painting her. I think they're doing some remodeling, and so those were sitting on a couch cushion when I called her. But it's artwork nonetheless, isn't it? Pictures of flowers. And I wish I could say they're Rembrandt. If they were, they'd be at my house. But they're not. They were painted by a little distinguished lady down in South Texas by the name of Lita Thomas, or Lita Harris, Lita Harris. And I want to tell you about this lady. Have you ever heard of her? Never heard of her. Have you ever gone down Washington Avenue and... and into one of our wonderful art studios in Ocean Springs and seen a painting by Lita Harris? Never have. If you ever look at the auctions of art, I don't, I don't think you'll ever see anything she has painted at all. She is less than obscure. You didn't even know her name until I told you. You will probably never see those pictures again. But she lived down an old Caliche Road. Does anybody know what Caliche is? It's South Texas's answer to gravel. They use it in the oil fields. It's just a hard white rock that acts like concrete. She lived down an old Caliche Road, then you turned down a little bit of a dirt road, and you came to her house. We did it every Sunday and every Wednesday growing up when I was a kid. My parents would load us up in the car and we would go and pick up Miss Lita Harris who didn't drive and take her to church. Every single week. Every single week. I was just a kid. That's how we had enough room in the car. We were small. And she'd go to church. I don't know much about her, but I will tell you what I do know about her. Vaguely, I can see her old house. And I know she wore glasses. I remember that. And I remember she was always dressed her best to come to church. I remember that. I remember the Caliche Road 
in the dirt road. I remember that. And I know she painted pictures. And I know she gave my parents at least three of them through the years. But I also know that if anybody, very few, if anybody were invited into her house. I never went to her house. As a matter of fact, I never got out of the car. I just scooted over. I don't know if my parents ever went in the house or not. But there's a reason that people weren't in her house. It's because she had no furniture in her house. Her house just had empty rooms. I'm sure if you ask me about it, she had a bed to sleep on. I'm sure she had at least a chair. I mean, you got to have a chair to put your shoes on. I'm sure. I, I imagine she had an easel or some flat surface that she could paint pictures on. But the rooms were empty. That's what my parents told me. Why? Why? Because she sold every piece of furniture in her house to support missions. And that's how she lived out her days. Now, I'm not telling you today to sell everything you have to give to missions. First of all, that's between you and God. And second of all, I don't know if you'd do it. (laughs) I know I'd have a hard time doing it. But um, here we have a little Obadiah. Obscure. You never heard of her. You never heard her name. She had to have a ride to church to go to church on Sunday. A little house down a dirt road. I just wonder what her house looks like in heaven. I just wonder what her furniture looks like in heaven. Broyhill has nothing on that. Amen. I just wonder. You see, obscure, unknown, not probably held in in contempt, if anything, by many on planet Earth because of the way she lived. But I want to tell you one thing she was faithful. She was faithful and she was significant for the Lord. Let me just share this with you. I just took a few minutes and told you her story and you'll never forget her. Amen. You know what? I announce I'm preaching through Obadiah. People say, well, wait a minute, preacher. Why don't you go to Revelation? Oh, preacher, we want to hear about Ezekiel. We want to hear about Jeremiah. Oh, give us Jeremiah. He's a big one. Lord, tell us about Daniel. He's famous. My goodness. Preacher, why? 
Well, I want to tell you something. Uh, he's just as important as the big boys. Amen. Just as significant. You see, little is much when God is in it is what the phrase is. And you can never do too much for the Lord. There's always more to do for the Lord. But I want to tell you, everything you do for the Lord is big. Everything you do for the Lord is big. And everything you do for the Lord has eternal consequences. And you don't do one thing for Christ that's not significant. So quit discounting what you do for the Lord. No, He's in it. Do something for the Lord. You want significance? Do something for the Lord. And maybe 45 years from now, 40 years from now, however how long it was when I was back there on that Caliche Road, some preacher will sh talk about you and your significance for the Lord Jesus Christ. So the first two principles, God is faithful. And the second, God has a significant purpose for you. Amen. He does. And everything you do for Him is significant. Is significant. Let's stand for our song of appeal. Well, dear friend, today... Um, let me tell you why everything you do for the Lord is significant. Because He has done something significant for you. Eternally significant. And He went to the cross for your sins. The judgment of God is explained in Obadiah. Obadiah says if a thief comes in and steals out of your, your grape vineyard and poaches your grape vineyard, he's going to leave some grapes. The only thing he's going to be able to carry is what he can. But God says to the Edomites, when I come in, I'm leaving nothing. My judgment is complete. Well, you don't want the judgment of God on your sin. But the significant thing he did was send Jesus to the cross, his son, and he put all of his wrath and all of his judgment on Christ for you, and you can be forgiven of your sin and I invite you to come forward and Cole and I will be up here to receive you and we can show you how you can have your sins forgiven and become significant in eternity for the Lord. Or maybe you just want to come and pray. Maybe you need to unite with our church. Whatever God says, those are important things to do as the Lord leads. This is Cole Andrews, the family minister here at First Baptist Church, Ocean Springs. I want to take a moment to say thank you for tuning into our podcasts and sermons today. We surely hope you have been blessed by the Word of God. I'd like to encourage you to visit our website, fbcosms.com, to learn more about our church. We sure would love to see you in church on Sunday. May God bless you.